I'm James Milley. And I'm Alex Mito. And this is The Artist Business Plan. Your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists. You're listening to The Artist Business Plan, which means you are certifiably awesome. I'm James Milley, co-founder of Superfine Art Fair. We're the most widespread art fair for independent artists in the U.S. and one of the top resources for all things related to building your very own thriving art business. Today, we've got Susan Hensel here with us. Susan is going to talk about digital embroidery and the tools available to fiber artists. I'm very excited to hear what she has to say, but first, I've got an amazing offer here just for you ABP listeners. New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and yes, Miami. These are just a few of the places where you and your art can meet your next collector when you sign up and exhibit with us at Superfine Art Fair. Join the number one art fair for independent artists as we travel across the United States reaching thousands of qualified in-person art buyers at every single fair. And prepare yourself for success with a full suite of business resources like our very own podcast, which you're listening to right now. Superfine started with the connection between artists and an eager, empowered, qualified buying audience. So many alternatives didn't provide any real value for the artists who spent their precious time, hard-earned money, and major effort mounting and exhibiting their work without the results to back it up. And that meant it was time for something new. For seven years, Superfine has focused on breaking down these barriers and creating sustainable economic opportunities for artists to build careers from our fair. To find your place at a Superfine fair, simply visit www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art. Don't miss the chance to be a part of the top business artist community in the world. And when you mention the artist business plan, you'll receive a $150 credit on your booth, no matter what size or city you choose. So that's $150 off. Just go online to www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art to set up your qualification call with James and get started selling your art with Superfine today. Again, that's www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art. All right, so we are back here with Susan Hensel. Susan Hensel received her BFA from the University of Michigan. Her continued study includes Haystack Mountain School of Craft, Penland, Christie's Education, Praxis Center for Aesthetic Studies, among others. She has a history to date of well over 300 exhibitions. Hensel's artwork is known and collected nationwide represented in collecting libraries and museums as disparate as the MoMA and the Getty Research Institute. Upcoming, Susan has a two-person and a group exhibition scheduled with Suwon Museum of Art, South Korea, Artistry in Bloomington, Minnesota, and the Garrett Museum of Art in Garrett, Indiana, as well as solo exhibitions in Leipzig, Germany, Hopkins, and Duluth, Minnesota. Welcome to the Artist Business Plan, Susan. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, now, before we get started, Susan, I want to ask you something that I try to ask all of our guests when they come on to help our listeners get to know you. Uh, what is the earliest memory that you have of art? Um, the earliest memory that I really, really and truly have of art is using my travel sketchbook or travel scrapbook. That was a thing in the 50s. Um, you put your postcards in there. Um, and I drew princesses everywhere and I was about four and a half years old. So that's my earliest 
um, physical memory, but otherwise I can't remember not being engaged in the world in this way. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when you're an artist, you, you live and breathe art, right? <laughs> it's oh, uh, it's it. yeah. part of our DNA. <laughs> yeah. uh, very cool. Well, uh, thank you so much. And then uh, let's go ahead and dive into the rest of our questions. Okay. Um, so first off, what is the story behind your involvement in digital embroidery and how did it transform with all of the mixed media studies in your educational history? It surprised me to tell you the truth. Um, I, I'm trained as primarily as a sculptor. So media materials and tools are what drive me. So the breadth of what I do is not surprising given that that is my focus. But what did surprise me was a visit to the Minnesota State Fair. And it's a huge fair. I had no idea. I'm a Minnesota transplant and it's sort of part of becoming Minnesotan is you have to go to the Minnesota State Fair. And one year when I went, um, I went to the demonstration building where manufacturers show off their new products. And it's usually um, things like vacuum uh, food storage and Ginzu knives and things. Uh, but it's fun to go. And I rounded a corner and there was a sewing machine um, with a hoop on it nobody around it, stitching out Donald Duck. I don't care about Donald Duck. I didn't care that nobody was touching the machine. The automation didn't wow me. But what stopped me in my tracks was the blue of Donald Duck's midi, I, his, his shirt. Um, I have never seen a blue like that. It was the most ultra, ultramarine blue I have ever seen in my life. And I knew at that moment that I was in deep trouble and that, that I was taking a hard left turn in midstream. And I had to possess that technology because even though I didn't know quite how I was going to apply it, I could, I had to work with those colors. I had to work with that aspect of it. And I searched for grants and loans and eventually um, put the package together and uh, turned out my first installation using uh, the digital embroidery. And I just barely made it on time because the um, software was hard to come by to develop the designs. And there was virtually no training on the software. So it was, it was a hard slog. And I'm not scared of computers. I've worked with, on, and around computers um, for more than 50 years. I, I was an early adopter because I grew up in Ithaca, New York, and it was actually part of our programming in high school way back then in the 1960s. So I'm not scared of them. And it's always been a tool that once they were available for home use that I made use of, either visually or certainly for administration. So I didn't have that, that um, ladder to climb. I, I didn't have to get through fear. But what I had to get through was understanding the structure of an embroidered object. You know, what needs to happen for it to be sound? And how do you mix colors? And that took several years to actually 
um, get really confident in. And that confidence came with a self-made residency. Um, every year, I go up to Lake Superior for two weeks, and I take a, just a tiny idea with me and too many art supplies, but I have no goal in mind. It is really like a residency. And take my dog, which you can't do with residencies, and I just play for two weeks. And it was, it was in that play that I discovered the how the physics of color interacts with these particular materials. And that changed everything. And the work then went beyond pictorial or text into the three dimensions. And I create work now out of soft materials that require very little in the way of armature and that have the effect on people that as they walk by the colors that they see shift and that's because of the physics of light the physics of color and the mechanical shape of the thread that i stitch with um, i now am the owner of three embroidery machines the little one that i started with which is what i still take to the cabin with me it's got one needle um, my next machine has 10 needles and they don't all stitch at once, folks. And my phone is ringing. Of course it is. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Actually, there, I got it turned off. Uh, <laughs> um, the, the, the embroidery machines are pretty terrifying to look at. They've got all these needles and they have all these dials all over the place. And you can't imagine that you can figure it out. But once I understood that only one needle stitches at a time, what I've got in a 10-needle machine is 10 sewing machines. And all those dials, that's just the stuff that's hidden behind the plastic on your home sewing machine. It's the tension discs. That's all it is. So once I understood that, it wasn't as terrifying. But the beauty of having a multi-needle machine is that it's not as onerous to change colors as you're doing, excuse me, as you're doing a design. So I design in the computer and the software is very much like Photoshop with a dash of Adobe Illustrator in it. You work in layers, you work in shapes, lines, and layers. And, and you control how dense your stitches are. And there are built-in arrangements of stitches that you can use as fills very much like you do in Photoshop and you can change the angle which you can't do as easily in Photoshop but you can do um, and through those things and through developing designs that mechanically fold and hold their folds um, I create this optical environment that goes beyond sparkle to how the hell did you do that so that's kind of my story with um, the machine. And it because I'm trained in all these other media, it is very obvious to me to begin to combine media. I just do that automatically. 
And um, I combined the stitch outs with found objects like antique pipe molds, of all things, which I found at a garage sale and had for years before I knew what to do with it. Um, I develop other designs to fill in. I use paint. I use um, metal. I use walnut. I use whatever I need to make the composition come together. Sometimes they require armatures, but most of the time, not very much. They do require hand stitching. They require an intuitive process. Um, I don't have these things all planned out before I start. I have a kernel of an idea. It might be as simple as, I like how weather maps look. That might be where I've started. And I just start playing in the computer. And I'm using a Wacom tablet, so it's drawing. And, and I can move the drawings around in the layers so that I get different color effects. And I make sure that I'm paying attention to what I'm stitching on. And I use that color as one of my colors and go from there. And I work in modules. And the largest module I can make now is about 42, 43 inches wide by close to 20 inches high. So that's a large stitch field. And that's my commercial um, embroidery machine, which I purchased three, four years ago, and will be paying for for another three, four years. So um, there are generous loans available for all of these um, that are um, no interest loans as long as you pay on time. So um, it usually can be worked out within your cash flow, which is nice. Otherwise, the materials are not terribly expensive. It's just the machinery. Yeah. It is. So, yeah. 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 If you've never seen one of those machines, I mean, they're, they're, they're mammoths of machines. <laughs> they're, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but they are, uh, they're, they're very cool. I have a, um, a friend that I've known for a long time in, uh, Miami and she has, uh, she has a, um, uh, one of the the digital show sewing machines. Yep. Uh, and yeah, it's it, it looks like a an organ or like a a, a keyboard or something. But like, oh, she- yeah, yeah, she probably has a Recoma because the home for Recoma is in Miami, and I've been there to study with them. They do offer really good training on their machines. And who knows? I might have met your friend. <laughs> <laughs> quite possibly. Quite possibly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um. um but yeah, they're they're mammoth, the the commercial ones. But I moved up to the commercial um, for a lot of what I do because of the size of the hoop. And so the commercial Recoma is a 15 needle machine. I never use 15 colors in a design. I, I mean, it's just like in painting, that's a recipe for mud. Um, but um, it's not that much more expensive a machine than the 10 needle crossover machine from brother, which is a great machine. Um, And it's called a crossover machine because they're developed to go into people's homes. And, but the size of the hoop um, is maximum 11 inches. 
And that means your modules are much smaller. So when I found out that Recoma had this mammoth hoop on one of their machines, I was sold. And again, they had good financing and they had great training. So I'm in for it. Yeah. 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 I, I, I love what you mentioned before about, um, you know, really what drove your entire uh, shift over to this medium was uh, the color of, of a shirt, you know, like a, a blue is really what, uh, what, what fully inspired you. And, you know, I think artists oftentimes uh, they are, are drawn to very specific things where, you know, it might seem like, you know, not, not that big of a deal, but it's really what makes their, their art stand out, whether it's, you know, I mean, I'm a photographer and usually there's a, uh, like a little section of light, you know, I'll see some light coming out of a window or, or, uh, a certain time of day will really draw my eye. Uh, and then I just have to like somehow capture that, uh, in the, in the photograph. So I, I totally hear you there. Um, well, and what was surprising to me about it, James, was that I had never considered myself a colorist. I was not driven by color. Um, I was driven by form and content. And because I have a lot of artist books in my background, I have installation, so that's experiential. Um, and way back in the dark ages, um, I worked in porcelain. And I really wasn't into color. And But this changed me. I mean, it was just remarkable. So, yeah. yeah you guys, if you haven't seen what digital embroidery can do, even just on baseball caps which is what it was developed for. But think about um, the sheen to that thread and you'll begin to get a sense of what struck me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I always like to mention this, but um, Susan, your Instagram handle is Susan underscore Hensel underscore multimedia underscore artist. So Susan Hensel multimedia artist. Um, so definitely, if you're listening to this episode, I, I encourage you to take a look at her work, uh, just because uh, you can definitely get a, a, a good visual of what we're talking about here. Um, but yeah, Susan, your, your work is, is stunning. And I think that you've, you've captured the, uh, the way that, like you said, the, the actual structure of the thread uh, can change how the piece looks from different angles. Uh, you can tell that you're, you're really playing with the, that shifting of color um, in your work, which I think is very cool. Thank you. Of yeah, course. every opening I have, that is almost always the discussion um, with with people. They they just can't figure out how it can look that way. Yeah, so it's, it's almost like a um, like a lenticular piece. No, it's exactly. It's, You're it's, the only other person I know who knows that word. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's basically you know the same way that. You know, it's uh, from different angles. You're, you're uh, like either different sides of the same thread or different thread would be uh, visible. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's you very got cool. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honored. I'm honored. <laughs> now, now, Susan, so you also, um, you talked a lot about grants and loans. So yeah. uh, something that we hear from a lot of artists is that they struggle to to find uh, grants that match their work um, or, or are a good fit for them. Um, so what would you recommend in terms of, 
you know, the, the search for grants, is there, is there any recommendations you have on uh, finding the right grant for an artist? You know, my answer really is you just keep doing it. The it's um, success rate is low and it just is. Um, I, I have applied for, you know, pro- at this point, probably 15 grants and gotten two. So do not despair. Um, and take a look. There, there are two things I have to say about it. The one is it's just part of the business. And um, like everything in the business, I recommend you hold it lightly. Don't put all your eggs in that basket. Your, your worth as a human being and an artist is not dependent on the outcome of anything we do. You know, I mean, and, and that's kind of a hard nut to crack. Um, and the other thing that I say is that, and I learned this from one of the artists I represent in the gallery. Um, I've known her for about six years now. And I, in talking with her one night, she said, well, you know, it's grant writing season. So that's what I'm doing now. And I went, oh, yeah, it is just part of the part of the plan. Um, I don't write grants every year. Um, I look at, at what's going on, both in my energy, in what I'm doing, and I also look at the market. And right now, I am not a favored commodity. I'm a white, middle-class, older woman. Um, I am not LGBTQ. I am not BIPOC, um, nor am I a professor. So I'm not a favored person right now. Um, because the market in grants has shifted quite a bit. It'll shift back. And there is one grant I do plan to write because I write it almost every year. And I've come close to getting it a couple times. And that's the um, McKnight grant, um, which is for New Yorkers and Minnesotans that will get you about $25,000 and, and critics to work with. So it's, it's a really good one to apply for. Um, but, but they're a crapshoot. They're a crapshoot. They always are. Um, I know people who labor over them intensely for weeks and weeks and weeks. And you know what? I'm just not that person. Um, it is good to have somebody with fresh eyes look over what you've written. Um, I have worked with a mentor before on one of the really complex grants that I wrote. I didn't get it, but it was a really good um, educational experience. And um, keep pursuing them. Yeah. Keep yeah. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's it. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I would definitely agree though. You know, it for a lot of things, whether it's, you know, finding a collector for your work, uh, reaching out to a gallery, um, you know, securing a grant, you know, you might need to get 20 no's before you get one yes. And like you said, it's all part of the business. It, it is something where you're having to put your heart and soul into it because it's your own art. Um, there's a statement that you have to make about it. So it's definitely very personal, but if you, if you don't get it, you know, recognize that, Hey, like grant, grant writing is, uh, that is going to be a low success rate for any artist, in, yes. including yourself, but including everyone yeah. around you. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So definitely. And the more you do it, frankly, the less it hurts. I do not have a thick skin. I mean, I really don't. I am the classic introverted empath artist. You know, I'm pretty classic that way, but I figured out a long time ago that um, you just got to put it out there. And for those opportunities that take money to apply, you just have to set your budget and just know that, um, you know, a 10% yes rate is really, really good these days. You know, and my yes rate is improving with this new body of work. And years ago, before we all applied for everything on the internet, my um, success rate for exhibitions and things was up to 50%. And and that's because it was so damn hard to do it with all those stupid little slides. You know, <laughs> as no as <laughs> envelopes and all that paper. And, oh my goodness, it was awful. And not very many people had the fortitude to push through. But it's way easier to do um, because it's all online now. Uh, And then it means, frankly, you have to do, in a way, you have to do more research and, and strategize what the opportunity will offer you and, and what your likelihood is to, to get into it. Cause that becomes an issue when you've got a hot body of work and, you have to make sure things aren't overlapping in inappropriate ways. Um, but if it's brand new, you don't know what you're going to do. Just send the work to everybody, <laughs> everybody you can think of. It's okay to send to opportunities that are happening at the same time, because the likelihood of, of say two opportunities saying yes to the same piece of work isn't real high. It's it's a it's a good problem to have if you have to turn exactly. one of the opportunities down. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 in kind of a spot like that right now, so it does make it more difficult to to figure out where does this piece go. And there, I just finished yeah, maybe a month ago a new piece that I knew was hot, and I knew that two locations would take it. There was no question in my mind, and I before I sent out the images, I made the decision which one needed to have it to further my career. And and so it went to Del Mar, Texas, instead of to the St. Paul Monastery here, which is lovely and is a beautiful space, but it was more important for it to be in Del Mar. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's the same for a lot of different things. You know, let's say you're reaching out to several galleries or, you know, take it away from art for a second. Like if you're applying to multiple jobs, right. Um, sometimes you need to be applying to as many things as possible to get that one. Yes. And sometimes it's more about really focusing in on like a few options. Um, but if you're, if you're waiting you're waiting to get that no from one thing before moving on to the next thing. You're not going to have enough momentum um, because you know it might take them. It might take them two months to get you uh, your answer. And if you're kind of holding on to a body of work for two months and not doing anything with it, I agree. It's going to be really crushing when you when you are given that no. But if you're not putting all your eggs into one basket, like you said, then it's, it's not going to, um, 
feel as personal or feel as crushing right. if you do get a no, because, you know, you've got a, a few other balls up in the air and, you know, hopefully something works out. Um, so definitely, I think that's, that's a really good approach to take to it. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I actually keep track of all of this stuff pretty well. Um, you know, I have an Excel spreadsheet to keep track of where I'm sending queries and I, and I have it color coded for those that were accepted and those that weren't. And, you know, I will tell you, some of the rejections do hurt, but um, I like having that information so that I can, um, you know, several months hence, look back and look at what I sent and try to analyze, um, did I just write a crappy proposal or was it just not the right place? You know, and those are good things to think about ultimately. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I, anytime I look back at something I've written, whether it's a month ago or five years ago, you know, I, I, I always am worried. Oh my God, was I, <laughs> was I, I just <laughs> what, 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 like, like, I don't want to read this, <laughs> but I know, I know I do have some, those moments of what was I thinking? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, you know, I look back at things that I wrote eight years ago and I'm actually, you know, it, it wasn't that bad. You know, it, it honestly, it just for whatever reason, it might just be that, um, it wasn't the opportunity for you. Um, and you know, you gotta, you gotta keep, pushing along. Like you said, there's, um, there's moments that you have, like you mentioned with your own, uh, or, or your, your current body of work. It's like, you know, it's hot. Like, and sometimes, you know, when you're, you're creating work, you're playing with something, not every single one is going to be your, your greatest hit. It doesn't mean that it's, it's pointless to have made it. Um, but you know, you might, you might kind of know when something is, really going to just resonate with everyone out there and everyone's going to fight for it. So, yep. you know, yep. focus. Yeah, those, those other ones that you make, they can wind up in the show. Like if you're, if you're peddling um, solo exhibitions, um, yeah, they'll be in there too. And um, I, you know, I, I, I never understand it, but it seems like 90% of the time, the public really loves the ones that I think are kind of, yeah, okay. <laughs> right, right. You're like, why, why do you care about this one? <laughs> exactly. No. Yeah. Yeah. It, no, it always kind of surprises me, but no. it's just the way it is. Absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're going to come right back and Susan is going to tell you a bit more about fiber artist uh, pricing and avenues of possibility. Um, but first another message from our sponsors. Artist, not sure about the next move in your career? Whether you're a talented emerging artist or a nine to five career artist looking for an upgrade, Superfine Art Fair is the boost you've been waiting for. Showcasing top quality work with the highest level of production in the industry, Superfine has been continually developed over the past seven years to become the number one art fair for independent artists in the United States. If you want to make lifelong connections with collectors, if you're willing to learn new methods of marketing, and if you're able to make a plan and execute on it, then you're going to fit right in with our business artist community. From the east to the west, there are plenty of opportunities to expand your arts career with Superfine. To apply for a Superfine art fair near you, visit www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art. Mention the artist business plan during your qualification call and we'll take an additional $150 off of your booth fee for any city and any fair that you choose. We can't wait to welcome you to the Superfine community and start helping you sell more art today. 
Okay, so Susan, uh, it seems like there are a plethora of painters uh, versus fiber artists in the world, yes. right? Yeah. Um, it seems like when you have a lot of artists to compare yourself to, uh, when it comes to pricing, uh, it can definitely make it clear how to price your art. Let's say, you know, there's an artist pretty similar in style to you. It's the same medium and you can get a sense, okay, if they're pricing their art here and they're successfully selling, uh, then you know that that's what you should be pricing your art at. Now with fiber art, there are not as many uh, fiber artists out there. So how would you recommend fiber artists um, that don't have a lot, a lot of uh, data to draw from? Um, how would you recommend they, they go about pricing their art? I frankly recommend that they do look at painters, look well outside your medium. Um, fiber art really is pretty hot right now in the blue chip arena. It's not dominant, but it's kind of on the bleeding edge. They're, they're pretty hepped up about um, some of their painters um, jobbing out some fiber things. Or anytime a man stitches something, they get very, very excited. <laughs> so, but, it, but the point of it is that, is that fiber is showing in blue chip galleries. And if it's not, if it's a group show, it is showing with paintings. And so I highly recommend that that fiber artists just drop on some level the category from their brain and just say, okay, I've got an object of art. I've got a, a hell of a lot of time into this and I've got skill in this and it is visually compelling. What kind of work would it show well with? Because you are limiting yourself if you only look for shows that show fiber art. So I look at my work as having fiber in it. <laughs> um, and I usually will list it as multimedia, you know, digital embroidery and multimedia. And I look for um, venues when it's a group show where my work will stand up with other people. And even when I write proposals um, to galleries, I look at, at who they're showing and what their work looks like. So I can say things like, you know, I think my work would be compatible with so-and-so. I see you show so-and-so whose work I follow carefully because I'm doing this from the Midwest folks. So, you know, it's not like I'm next door to the big markets. And, um, and price accordingly. So there is a tendency among fiber artists because we come out of a craft background, and even more so out of a women's craft background, um, to price too low for the labor that is in there. Um, any you know full size picture size quilt um, that people put out there as fine art, as far as I'm concerned, as a gallerist also of just an. an gallery for basically emerging to mid-career artists, it's got to start at about two grand. There's too much work in it. So look, look at what painters are doing and, and be knowledgeable about what's out there and about the price stru pricing structure that you're in the area that you're shooting for. I mean, don't change your prices all over the place. That's a terrible thing to do. It's a great way to get blacklisted, but, um, for the market that you are shooting for, look at what the pricing is and can you 
both budgetarily afford to price to that market. And also there's the emotional component because you're going to be giving up um, 40 to 50% of that price um, to for the gallery to help promote you. Will it break your heart <laughs> to only get 50% of that price after you've put all of that time in it? Um, it's very hard to quantify um, the materials when you're working in fiber art because you're using drips and drabs of so many things. And most of the materials are not terribly expensive, but the time is. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I think that that's what it comes down to, right. Is the, the time that you are putting into it. Um, I find it very reassuring that, you know, major galleries are, are showing fiber art, uh, along, not only they're showing it as kind of like a, a special, a special feature or something it's showing alongside paintings and all other media. So, um, it's, it's being folded into the fine art world as, just another medium that you can expect to see art in. Um, so I think that's, I think that's very reassuring. Um, and I think what you mentioned, I just wanted to kind of go back to it real quick about telling the gallery that you think that your artwork would be compatible with such and such other artists that they already show. You know, I think that, I mean, yes, for fiber art, but just in general, that's a really good tip for when you are reaching out to galleries, kind of acknowledging that it's not, you're just an artist, you're looking for a gallery and you're looking for any gallery who will, who will pick you up. You're actually kind of curating your selection of galleries that you're reaching out to and acknowledging that to the gallerist uh, themselves and helping them picture you as the artist in their gallery because you know, your work is going to be offering something that the other artists don't, but it does still complement the other artists. Um, so I, I yeah, think and I, I think it's really important. Um, and it's not that I've, it's not that I've solved this problem, but um, most artists live outside of the, the big markets. We just do partly because, you know, cost of living is so much cheaper and or we have families or whatever the reasons are. But the reality on the ground that is unacknowledged in the East Coast and West Coast markets is that the galleries always need new talent. Because there are there's there's a structure that works financially for galleries. Um you know, if they have an if they own materials that they can then sell, that's gravy for them. If they represent an estate, that's almost guaranteed income. And then they have the the current people they represent who are a known quantity, and, but they still have to try out people because the market demands that there be new stuff coming in. And I don't care what the level of the gallery is in terms of reputation and sales, those things kind of hold. So they need us. We are not just supplicants coming in, even though we feel like it. Um, they need us. And so I have been working uh, for, for years just trying to get, especially the artists that I represent out 
into those markets or into the international market and and just letting people know that good stuff doesn't only come from New York and LA. Yeah. And, yeah. And that there's strength everywhere. I, I fully agree. And from the, the opposite perspective, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, galleries or, or art fairs or whatever it is that you're, you're yeah. uh, submitting your work to, uh, to a, to a grant opportunity, you know, they're looking for, um, a diverse ar- array of perspectives from from all over the, the world. And yeah. so that it is an advantage to you to be not living in New York or LA. The, conversely, if you live in New York or LA, that also is an advantage for other reasons. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're from the Midwest, if you're from another country, um, then you know that that might be intriguing to that gallerist or to that fair or to that, uh, to that, uh, grant opportunity and, uh, use that to your advantage, you know, play it up. And, and besides, besides just the, the fact that that itself is interesting, you are also actually offering a different perspective because you live in a different place. You are experiencing, um, you know, your daily life differently. So that's going to impact the art that you make. Uh, and you know, that's, that's just going to, to set you apart from, from other artists. So, um, yeah, I would not get discouraged at, you know, not having the, the best or, or biggest opportunities available to you just because you don't live near them. Right. I agree. And, and educate yourself, you know, read everything out there. Some of it's really interesting, you know, try to figure, try to learn how, how this largely invisible market works. It's increasingly transparent, um, but it still isn't really transparent. And art is a commodity, but it doesn't behave like toilet paper on the market. <laughs> right. You know, it's it's an unusual commodity and it doesn't behave um, like a strictly like a manufactured good where you can designate X amount uh, for materials, for labor, for, for shipping, for process, and then, and then put the profit on it. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. And yeah. And just learn everything you can. Um, Yeah, definitely. I mean, like you mentioned with the toilet paper, it's, you know, art will and uh, always be a luxury item people. Um, but that being said, kind of similarly to, uh, there being a market demand for, uh, for new art. I think that the trend has been that the the market is demanding more transparency as far as pricing goes, as far as, and, and like you mentioned, I mean, the reason that your, your, um, uh, success rate for grants was higher before was because the process was difficult, but it was probably not as, um, obvious what opportunities there were. And now it's like you go on one of, you know, five major websites on the internet and you, you see a list of grant opportunities. Absolutely. So, you know, yeah. the, the, the world is changing. Um, but yeah, definitely, um, kind of doing the research and knowing, knowing everything that is available for you to know ahead of time, you know, it's going to, uh, it's going to really help you, uh, and give you that advantage there. 
Yep. And always follow the directions. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. And, and for, from, from both sides, I, I, uh, I agree with that very much. So <laughs> from the side giving directions and the side having to read directions. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, Susan, this has uh, been an amazing conversation. Uh, let's go ahead and bring it home for our listeners real quick. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say is your number one tip for artists just getting started? Oh, show up. Just show up. Make the studio a priority. And the studio doesn't have to be a big, vast space. It can be the corner of your kitchen, but you got to be able to leave the stuff out. And every day, show up. And also, I want them to know that even some of the big-named artists who show at the Venice Biennale have full-time jobs. That's the norm. So don't beat yourself up about that. But you come home from work, you're tired. And if the studio's at home, you know, go to it almost before you say hello to anybody who lives there. Maybe you can say hi to the dog. But, <laughs> of course the dog. I mean, yes. Yeah, yes. seriously. Because the dog's going to demand Your it. husband, I mean, you know, he can wait. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you got to show up in your studio. And sometimes all you'll do is sit there and, and write a shopping list, but it's okay because you're in the studio. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes a difference in the long run. And, you know, one of the mentees I had who had gotten a nice grant and she was saying, but I'm so tired after work. I said, I don't care. You just got to show up. Yeah. And over time she realized that that made a huge difference and she became more and more consistent and she was able to fulfill the grant on time and well. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, for grants, you have to set a timeline. And and so that was part of it for her, was making sure she met her, her um, what do you call it? The points on her timeline that she needed to meet. Right, right. Like kind of hit the uh, the checkpoints or... <laughs> Whatever we call that, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely I would say with... Uh, with any any business that you own, right? Like an, a, being an artist, being your your own business. I mean, you know, you have to make sure that you're managing your own time as if you did have, you know, uh, I forget who it was, but there was someone who was saying that you have to be like the boss and the employee when you own your own yep. business. Um, <laughs> so it's like you have to show up on time and you also have to give yourself those, those hours. Um, but it's even harder with art because you like it. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, for it to be like, okay, I have to be dedicating the time to something I like, it, it can be really difficult because you'll put it off because it, it you know, it, it, it feels like uh, it doesn't feel like work. And so it's yeah. really important to, like you said, show up. I think that's such, such valuable advice. Well, and I also think whether or not the art sells, I don't want to freight the work with that outcome. I've got to just make the best work I can. Yeah. And I think that the I think that our work is really, really, really important to the culture. Exactly. I mean, it's it's uh, everyone. It, the, the we mentioned it being a luxury good before, but I mean, we it's are surrounded by art. Like, I mean, I don't think as I. I would not be as happy if the world did not have art in it. So yeah, I mean, and I wouldn't be a happy camper if I wasn't. No. <laughs> no. Well, so. thank you again, Susan. Oh, um, you bet. 
for, for everyone listening, uh, you can listen to this and all of our past podcast episodes on our website at superfine.world. Uh, once again, to connect with Susan, you can follow her Instagram page at Susan underscore Hensel underscore multimedia underscore artist. Be, uh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> uh, be sure to check us out at Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. We always appreciate a share whenever you're listening to and enjoying the artist business plan. Uh, also, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts when you get the chance, you will make me very happy. Uh, those ratings are very helpful for other artists, entrepreneurs, just like you um, find us. Uh, and then as always, I'd like to wrap up the class by sharing a quick quote with you all. Uh, today's quote is Jill Cohen. I do my best work and have the most fun when I'm not sure exactly where I'm heading. The process of discovery is exhilarating. Susan, once again, it is such a pleasure having you here with us today. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And thank you. Everyone else, have an awesome rest of your day. And remember to stay on top of your artist business plan, get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan. Hosted by me, Alex Mito. And me, James Milley. Join us each week to hear leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas discuss tips and tricks designed to help you thrive and sell more art. To listen to this episode and all of our past episodes, just visit www.superfine.world and click The Artist Business Plan. And we love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message just to let us know you're listening. Want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Go to www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art. Until next time, keep listening, keep creating, and keep up your artist business plan.